Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're well. It's Pentecost Sunday, as Sue's already said. Um, But if you're going to read along with me, um, why don't you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. I promise we'll get to Pentecost at some point in the next couple of hours. So Luke 22, I'm going to start reading in verse 39, and it it says, Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. So this is just after the Last Supper, for those of you who know um, the gospel story, and it says this in verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, If you are willing, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Blood and sweats of, uh, sweats of, what does it say? And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So this Pentecost Sunday, I want to talk to you about prayer. And I want to talk to you about fervent prayer. And I want to, I want to take this story from Luke's gospel and I want to tie it together with the start of the Acts story. And I think that's a really good thing to do because... The Gospel of Luke is surprisingly written by a guy called Luke, Dr. Luke, um, and so is Acts. And the way that he describes, he introduces Acts as volume two of his work. So basically, the story in Acts is volume two of the Gospel of Luke. Some, no one here can probably explain to me why the Bible translators decided to put John's Gospel in the middle of Luke's book, but they did. But when we read Luke's Gospel, we should really just go straight into reading Acts. And that's part of the reason why I want to draw from Luke's Gospel this morning. But the main reason is because I see parallels between what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane and what happens at Pentecost. I'm going to unwrap those this morning. But I just want to take a moment before we get into Pentecost to look at what happens here in this story in Gethsemane. And what it says at the start is that Jesus went to pray as usual. And I think that's something that we should take note of, first of all, before we talk about anything else. Jesus, who was God himself in the flesh, prayed. Think about that for a moment. He was God and he still had to pray. I'll leave that one with you. Then, though, he says something slightly more unusual, something that you know, we don't actually get an explanation for. And he turns to the disciples and he says, you guys need to pray in order that you might not fall into temptation. And he doesn't unpack that at all, which is really quite helpful if you want to preach on it. (laughs) But I want to suggest to you that when he says, pray that you might not be tempted, it's because he recognizes that the disciples are kind of at the end of themselves in this moment. He's just had what he's referred to as the last supper with them. He's just had communion with them. And he's been talking the last couple of days about this weird thing that he's going to go die. Some of them are a bit like, 
what are you on about? And some of them are like, I'll follow you to death. Some like, they're, they're all a bit haphazard. They don't really know where they're going. But he, he takes them and he goes to pray like normal. So I want to say that this is probably the first time the disciples have had any normality for the last couple of days. They've been running around. They've get to, got to Jerusalem. It's all been a bit crazy. They've got some random donkey and gone to this random house that Jesus explained to them. And then finally, there's a bit of normality that happens. And as soon as that happens, Jesus says, you need to pray that you might not be tempted. And that's because when, when you, you get that bit of normality, it, the temptation that comes is comfort. And one of the ways, when we're most comfortable, what do we do? We fall asleep. Well, I do anyway. Um, and this is exactly what the disciples do. They fall asleep. And I believe that Jesus is basically warning them and saying, you need to pray in order that you don't get too comfortable, in order that you don't get tempted to fall into making yourself the king of your life. And that's, that's the point I believe Jesus is making to the disciples in this story. But I don't think they really get it at this point. As you can see, if you read any of the rest of the gospel stories, they all go a bit crazy. One of them denies him, but... Jesus is still making this point to them. And I think if we went straight into Pentecost, we'd miss this. And the the other thing that I want to say, I want to take note of in this story right now is what Jesus prays and what Jesus says. Jesus withdraws. So basically, he takes the disciples right to the edge, right to the end of their limit. And how many know we all have limits, don't we? We all have the place where you're like, no, I I can't go any further than this. Or more importantly, no, I can't be awake any longer than this. Jesus takes them right to the edge of their limits. And then he decides, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm just going to enter in a little bit further. And what does he pray? He gets into this this place where he says to his father, he's like, I can't do this. Is there any way we can do it another way? And you guys have heard people preach on this probably hundreds of times, but I'm just going to remind you one more time. Jesus, who was the king of kings and still is the king of kings, got on his knees and literally bled as he was sweating with fear because he didn't want to do it. But what did he say? He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's how he taught us to pray. And that's the model. And he was saying to his disciples, look, I've led you as far as you can come. You guys need to stay attentive, stay awake, pray that you won't be tempted. I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to get the biggest breakthrough that's ever happened in human history. He's showing them something. And I want you guys to take note of it here. So that's what happens. We're going to breeze over a load of bits that happen in between. If you don't know, basically Jesus dies. He saves you from everything, comes back, explains it to the disciples. They're all a bit like, what the heck just happened? And then he basically does this weird thing where he goes up, gets transfigured. Does he get transfigured after? No, he goes up, he ascends. Sorry. The ascension and the transfiguration, I had to study them at the same time, so I always get them confused. Sorry. He He ascends, and then the disciples are like, now what, basically? And this is where Acts picks up. So if, you want, if you're following along, turn to Acts. I'm going to be in chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading right at the end of the first little section. It's verse 10. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going. That's Jesus. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men, men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And then it says in verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of that guy, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. 
and then they do something else which I'm going to come back to. And it's after this point when Pentecost happens. So many people read Acts and they basically glaze over chapter 1, they go straight to chapter 2. And I want to point out that there's one phrase in this that, that's really key. But before I get to that, I want to, I want to highlight something else to you which is that in the first story I told to you, the disciples had just come from an upper room. They had just come from the, what we call the Last Supper. And that's where Jesus introduced them to communion. He introduced them to the fact that they could have communion with him. And he says to them, you need to go on doing this. So when he leaves, what's the first thing they do? They go back to an upper room. And that's why I want to draw a parallel here, because I believe that you know Luke knew what was going on, and he wouldn't have highlighted that if it wasn't important. So they go from one upper room where they're completely bemused and confused, and now they come back to an upper room here at the start of Acts. And what do they do? It says, they all join together constantly in prayer. The only other thing it mentions them doing, and it's the thing that I said I'd come back to, is they appoint a new elder. They appoint Matthias to come and take over from what Judas did. And so what they're doing there is, they're dealing with the attack of the enemy. Do you get that? The enemies tried to remove someone, and the disciples have come back, and they've got in prayer, and the, and the, the only thing they've done is to deal with what they've lost is to deal with the attack of the enemy. So there's something about prayer, which is dealing with the enemy. So first things first, we learn from the room that, that prayer is about communion. Prayer is about communion with God. Second thing is that it's about dealing with the attacks of the enemy. So this is really important because there's basically two battles that we're fighting in this life. There's an inward one and an outward one. The inward one is solved by communion with Father and the outward one is solved by battling the enemy. Does that make sense? So prayer is integral to everything we do as Christians. Prayer is our assignment as Christians. There's not a single calling that you could have which doesn't involve prayer, including being the son of God. You know, this first story, every single thing that we do as Christians involves prayer. And there's nothing that we can do without the power of prayer. And so I, this morning, what I really want to encourage you to do, and I'm really glad that they're doing the Thy Kingdom Come thing, that they're doing in Trafalgar Square where they're praying. And what they're praying, they're praying the words of Jesus. Basically, your will not mine. Your kingdom, not mine. And what's the, the most important, the most fundamental thing about prayer is that it's about him, not about us. All too often in our culture, we make prayer about us. And this is something that basically the disciples must have done if they fell asleep while they were praying. If it, if it wasn't about them, they wouldn't have fallen asleep. But their prayer led them into falling asleep right? Our prayer so often will lead us into falling asleep, spiritually probably. So for some of us, literally, let's be honest, we've all fallen asleep in a prayer meeting. <laughs> but what's, what's, what's the thing that's so important is that they're praying without ceasing. And what are they praying and how therefore should we pray? It's that they're praying against themselves, against their will. They're praying the will of Father instead. And that's, that's, what happens in communion is that there's an exchange in prayer. And the truth is that we can pray requests. And I think that's the first way we generally teach kids how to pray is we say, what's on your heart? Take it to Father. And that's awesome and that's godly. But there's another element to prayer. And the reality is if you just take what, what's on your heart, your troubles, or even your, your, uh, the, your victories, and you just take them and you just blurt them out on God, and you, basically you just 
vomit up this stuff and then leave, then you're not praying, you're just complaining. The reality is, if you're not changed by your prayer life, then you're not praying, you're just complaining. You might be talking at God and he might be hearing you and sometimes he might answer things because he's so good, but we need to learn to pray. Just because he's good doesn't mean we should settle. And so the first thing we need to know about prayer is that there needs to be an exchange. I know this because Jesus said, didn't he? He said, come to me those who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. So he takes that which is really heavy that we can't handle our burdens and he turns it into something light and it's rest. That's a picture of what coming to Jesus looks like and that's what we do when we pray. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you're praying for something and you're not, seeing change, even in your own attitude towards it, you haven't finished praying yet. Trust me, your job is way less important than complete fullness of joy. And the reality is that what the disciples did in the first story is they chose their comfort over the breakthrough. And the only way that we as a human race got the breakthrough was because Jesus got on his knees and sweated the blood. It's because of his blood, and we need to praise him for that every day. But the second thing we need to do is we need to take up our cross and carry on. And the reality is this Pentecost Sunday that the only way it's going to happen is if we get on our knees and pray. And for some of us, I'm going to be real with you, at some point you might sweat blood. But that means you're doing it right because you're following Jesus' way. And how many of us, you know, my prayer life is awful compared to what the disciples show us here. My prayer life is really pathetic compared to what the disciples show us here. Let me talk to you about the way that I do quiet time. Um, I basically, I'll worship, I'll read the Bible, but I have this thing that I call my dreams list. And on this list, there's some really exciting things. I'm not going to tell you everything because it's a little bit too personal. But on this dreams list, I have a list of things that I'm praying for until they happen. And I will not stop praying for these things until I see them happen. One of the things got recently answered. I was, this is really like tiny little thing, guys. You can pray for tiny things. But it was a pair of shoes. I really wanted this pair of shoes. I'm wearing them right now. You can see why I wanted the pair of shoes. Basically, I was praying that I would be able to save enough and basically to get through my degree so I could treat myself with this pair of shoes. Praise God, I have the pair of shoes. What's my point? My point is pray for the little things, right? But pray for the big things too. This morning, even if this is the only thing you take home, forget the rest, but pray bigger prayers. One of the other things on my prayer list is I'm praying for an end to cancer. Now, I don't mean an end to cancer with all the people I know. I mean an end completely to cancer 100% worldwide. Why are we not praying for this stuff? And the reality is that Cancer Research UK has that vision because they're talking about a cure. But we as Christians will pray for one person. Yeah, let's do that. Let's love on the person. But let's pray for an end to cancer answer. I'm praying for an end to mental health. Why not in my generation? Why not, guys? Let's pray big, big prayers. Because the reality is, my God is good, so I need to pray good prayers that reflect his nature. If not, I'm not praying his heart. And that's where the exchange happens, is I need to begin and we need to begin to pray his heart, not mine. So when I get in that place, let's be honest, the shoes are not on his heart. Maybe he wants to bless me. That's another thing. But if you want to see his kingdom come, you need to pray prayers on his heart, right? You guys could go through your life just praying for shoes. But imagine if all of us start praying for an end to cancer, for an end to mental health, for an end to terrorism, whatever it is. Whatever the dream is on your heart that Father's put there, pray for it. Pray for it every day. What's next? 
it's that we need to push in in prayer. So not only do we pray for these things instantly, but we need to pray for these things fervently. So I believe that there's, there's two types of answers to prayer. I'm going to talk about the first one, which is instant prayers. And I totally 100% believe in instant prayers. I believe you can pray for massive things and Jesus can come through the power of his Holy Spirit and heal people instantly like that. Let me tell you a story. I told it in Encounter a couple of weeks ago. But we were out um, from, I go to a Bible college, or actually I used to go to a Bible college. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I used to. And when, when I was still studying, we went on an outreach to Camden. And some of you will have heard this story because I love this story. But basically, we were out on outreach. And the whole point was we were in this team and we were praying um, we were on the Experience Jesus team, and we were praying for people on the streets to experience Jesus. Me and Lee were there. Some of you will know Lee. And we were, we were just like basically shouting, <laughs> who wants healing? Like, come and get healing, like just at random passers-by in Camden. Pretty much no one was interested. Then after we'd been out there in the rain for like an hour, we saw this lady walk past, and she had a walking stick. And she was leaning on the stick with one arm and on her daughter with the other, this little elderly lady. So me and Lee are like, right, here we go. We run up to her, and she's absolutely petrified because these two huge guys compared to her come running up to her in the dark in Camden. And we're like, can we pray for you? Can we pray for you? And she's a bit like, ah. And we find out at that point she doesn't really speak much English, but her daughter is like, like, go for it, pray for her. So this poor, unsuspecting lady is just there, not really knowing who these two guys are, um, who are just touching her knee and praying. And, and she's just stood there. And literally all I said was this. I just said, Father, I thank you that you love your daughter. Would you heal her right now in Jesus' name? That's an instant prayer, right? And you know what happened? She immediately got healed. She looks at me and she's like, what did you do? <laughs> And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just prayed. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then I took the stick out of her hand and we walked down the street and she was walking completely fine. All of the LST students are there like, what the heck just happened? And then we basically had this amazing moment where everyone was praying because their faith levels rose. Everyone got to, to get to the breakthrough and to, to push through. That's an awesome instant prayer. And that was amazing. But the reality is if you live just in that realm, you're going to miss out on so much. If you live just in the realm where your prayer life is just, please do this, and then you leave it, then you're going to miss out on so much. It might be kind of exciting for like once a month, but it won't be, it won't be revival lifestyle and it won't look like Pentecost, trust me. The other type of prayer is fervent prayer. And this is what the disciples learned. They learned to get on their knees and to stay in a room and to pray constantly until it happened. That's what happened before Pentecost came. But I'm actually going to highlight another story to you in Acts, which is Acts 12, right? And Peter's been taken to prison. And it says that the believers gather together and they pray constantly again. So clearly the disciples have learned their lesson from when they fell asleep earlier. Jesus' rebuke was enough. Um, and they, they begin to pray. And we all know that story, don't we? That Jesus just walked, uh, sorry, Peter just walks straight out of the prison because an angel comes. And the reality is, right, that when he gets to the door, it says, it says that he couldn't believe what was happening. He thought it was a vision. And then they get to the door and they open the door and it's Peter there. And bearing in mind, they've just been praying all night. And they're like, oh, that can't be Peter. So then they run back and no one believes them. And they're like, no one can get over the fact that what they were praying for actually happened. Because they're praying big prayers and they're praying them until they happen. The reality is how often do we do that? 
That's what I, I know I'm failing in right now because yeah, I've talked about my dreams list, but to be completely honest with you, I've been trying to pray that every day and I maybe give like 10 minutes to it. That's rubbish. What is that? And the, the only way that this is possible is when we pray in the spirit. The only way that this is possible is when you take a prayer or you take your heart and you completely lay that down. You completely give up what's on your heart and you, you cross over entirely into the realm of the Spirit. And that's what the disciples did. And I know that the disciples did that because it says, doesn't it, in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary and they explain everyone that's there. But what it says in, in the NIV, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. A better translation, in my opinion, is in the Passion, it says they all joined in one spirit and prayed together. And so what that looks like is different to if you all begin to just pray in your own way. We've all been in prayer meetings, haven't we? Where one person will pray a prayer and maybe they'll be praying. I don't want to pick on anything specific, but it's really hard not to. So understand that this is, this is all so godly. This is all good to pray what's on your heart and to pray your vision. But I'm talking about a specific type of prayer here. Um, which the disciples were engaging with. But we've been in prayer meetings, haven't we, where like someone will pray, oh, I pray for the preschool, and we pray for blessing upon the preschool. The next person will be like, we pray for the evangelism of the church. We pray blessing on the evangelism. Sometimes we pray for the leaders, not very often. And then <laughs> you get the point, right? We all pray what's on our heart, basically. We all pray what, what we're feeling and what we're struggling with. Am I right? Are you guys awake? Yeah. Good, you haven't fallen asleep like the disciples. And what happens is we all pray on our hearts, but the disciples here model something different because it says that they all prayed in one spirit. How does that happen? It only happens when that thing that I was talking about, when we lay down completely our agendas. And that can, that's the only way that can happen. When we enter into the spirit and we begin to pray in the spirit, and I'm sure we've also all been in prayer meetings where that's happened too, where someone will be like, oh, let's say, let's take a drug problem. We pray for the drug problem in fleet, if there is one. We just pray for an end to that. And then the next person's like, yeah, we pray for the drug dealers. We pray that you'd come and you'd meet them, that you'd stop the dealing. We pray like for the police force. We pray for you, give them wisdom, blah, blah, blah. And you go through and what happens is you're all praying on the same point, but you're adding layers to it. That's what praying in the spirit looks like. And it says that the disciples went into, they entered into the upper room and they began to pray in one spirit together. What were they praying? We don't know, but I'm gonna make a guess for you this morning. It wasn't, please would you come and put fire on my head and make me speak a funny language. Yeah, the disciples are probably praying the same prayer Jesus prayed. That's what I wanna suggest. They're probably just praying, either just help or your kingdom come, your will be done. Not our will, your will. Because they made themselves so vulnerable to pray that prayer. And so many of us will utter that in our lives, but how many of us will live that? And how many of us will pray that fervently? And this morning I feel is a really, it's a key moment. It's like a Kairos moment in the spirit. And what it is, is because Father is stirring up in this nation, people of prayer. Every single place I've been to, every single conference I've been to, every single church I've been to in, the last, in 2019, they've all had an emphasis on prayer. If you were at Spring Harvest, you would have seen the emphasis on prayer. When we went to the Partners and Harvest Leaders Conference, they had a massive emphasis on prayer. At LST, just before Christmas, we prayed nonstop for 30 days. That's ridiculous, because most of us were trying to do degrees. <laughs> 
There's, Father is really stirring something up in this nation. And do you know what they're all praying for? They're praying for revival. And I, I want to encourage you this morning to be a people who, first of all, up your, your prayer life game for yourselves. So let's see an end to cancer. Let's do that. Let's pray for that. Let's, whatever's on your heart, pray for those big things. But also, let's be a people who pray until this revival comes. And you, you are a people, you are a family who's been promised revival. You guys are like fire carriers. And it would be great for me to have stood up here and talk you through Acts chapter 2 and talk about all the things that Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. But the reality is, you guys know what Holy Spirit does. You guys know what Holy Spirit does. And that's awesome. And I want to encourage you, maybe some some of you are here and you're like, I don't. Well, we'll introduce you later. But most of you know, you guys know Holy Spirit really well. You don't need me to talk through Acts chapter 2. But I'm going to be really honest with you. And this is the problem not just with us, but with the charismatic movement at large. We don't pray fervently. And we need to learn to pray fervently. And there's been some great church fathers and mothers who've gone before us who've prayed fervently. And if you read any revival history, the only way it happens is through fervent prayer. So so I want to encourage you this morning to enter into that place of fervent prayer. But it needs to be united. It needs to be united. It's cool if one or two of us pray, you know, at a prayer meeting or in our houses in, in, in groups. But I, my vision for you guys, my, my dream for you guys, is for you guys to constantly be houses of prayer, each individual to be a house of prayer in this place, all praying for revival. For those of you who are thinking, oh, I can't do that, I'm too busy, let me talk to you about what prayer really is. In the Old Testament, it talks about Holy Spirit, um, or rather the Spirit of God as the breath of God. So the Old Testament picture is that the, the Holy Spirit is the breath. He's the life force. So in an Old Testament, in a Jewish understanding, if you're breathing, you're literally in the Spirit. That's so different from what we think about, but that's, that's the biblical reality. That's what they, they saw. And so I want to encourage you that whatever you're going about, whatever you're doing, you can be living in prayer. This is something that I, f I really feel passionately that you should do everything prayerfully. And I don't mean you're one of those weird Christians who when someone says, will you make me a cup of tea? You're like, let me pray about it. I don't mean that. I mean that everything you do just flows from that place of prayer. And what happens in Acts chapter two, it says that the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind, right? And the word is ruach which is the same word for breath. And it says that the Ruach filled each of the disciples. And in that moment, we'll get onto what happened, but in that moment, they're filled with Holy Spirit. And we need to be a people, don't we, that are filled with the breath of God so that our very breath is like prayers unto the Lord, which means every time you speak anything or think anything because he's the giver of life, you're praying unto the Lord. And we need to be a people then, don't we, that make everything we do orientated towards heaven. So that when, when you're thinking about what you're gonna have for dinner, you're thinking about what's gonna bring the most glory to God. And I'm serious about that. I'm really serious about glory giving food. I think that would be great, wouldn't it, if we had a culture where every time you had a meal, it was like, wow, that was, that was heavenly, right? Is anyone else with me? No one else likes to eat food? No. Sick. But I'm like, literally every, every incremental detail of life can be about orientating towards heaven. And that's what the disciples did. It says that they prayed constantly. They prayed constantly. I don't think that that meant that they were verbally praying constantly. I think it meant that every, every single thing that they did was orientated towards heaven because they made that exchange. My life for yours. That's what prayer is all about. My life for yours. You gain Jesus. You get the fullness of joy. Your, your burden will be easy. 
What else happens when we pray in the Spirit is what chapter 2 begins to talk about. And this is when Holy Spirit begins to lead us into prayer. And this is for those of you who are there thinking, that's all well and good, but I don't really know how to pray. Well, basically, that doesn't really matter because the whole point is that Holy Spirit prays through you. And we're going to look at chapter 2 now. And it says at the start, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And what I want to talk to you about is when we enter into fervent prayer, when we press in, we will reach a point where our hearts fully align with heaven. That's the moment of Pentecost is what happens is the, whole, the, the disciples are there for so long, they're praying so long that they align themselves to the point where Father's like, okay, now I can pour out my spirit upon you. Now, now, you, can, now you will be able to prophesy through the power of tongues because Holy Spirit gets poured out upon them. Now, tongues is something that probably a little bit controversial in church history, to be completely honest. Most of us, or a lot of us in this room, We'll, we, we will already have the gift of tongues. But I want to just unpack a little bit. What is tongues and what, what, what is it talking about? It's a physical manifestation. It's a, it's a visible sign of what I've just been talking about. It's basically saying, this, this is, I'm, sh- I'm showing evidence that that person is praying in the Spirit. Does that make sense? So it's not that tongues in itself is this magical thing. It's that you've, that person has made the interchange between themselves, their life, and, and heavens, and, and fathers, and Jesus, and said, I will give everything for you, and their heart aligns. And then suddenly they're able to pray in a way, which is so like heaven, so like Father's heart, that the language that they speak is actually heaven's language. Does that make sense? So it's, it's almost like what happens at Pentecost is that the disciples pray for so long, that then they can't help but speak heaven's language. Does that make sense? If you guys got it, you guys are very subdued. This is real. These guys are like praying and then heaven comes. Do you get that? They're praying and then completely everything changes. If you read the rest of the book of Acts... There's a point where they're so anointed, they're so walking closely with, with Holy Spirit that their shadows are healing people. Yeah. Do you, heaven can come when we pray. Yeah. Heaven can come. Not just, like, not just like a nice, fluffy, warm feeling or a nice encounter service or, you know, oh, that, wasn't that worship set great? I really enjoyed the songs this week. But like heaven came. Right. All of heaven came. That's what <laughs> happened at Pentecost. Who wants that? Who wants that? Who really, really wants that? Let's make our prayer lives look like we want that. That's what it looks like to co-labor. And for me, that's why tongues is so important. You know, in the rest of the Bible, tongues is only mentioned like three or four times. In this one, in this story, um, when they speak in tongues, they're literally speaking in earthly languages. They're speaking in languages that other people who, who have never learned their language can understand. Because basically what happens is Holy Spirit comes upon them and in that moment, Holy Spirit is so excited to tell everyone what he's doing that he uses them to speak it out. He just begins to proclaim the gospel in every language. So that can happen when we speak in tongues. But in the rest of the Bible, um, in the rest of Acts, there's other uses of the word for tongues. And it's the same thing. The people are still speaking languages, but there's heavenly languages. And for those, some of you in this room will have been praying on your knees for things, or maybe not on your knees, but just praying for things 
you're thinking, I don't have the words to pray for this anymore. I don't know how to pray for this anymore. That's why we have tongues, because it edifies us. Because what happens is Holy Spirit says, that's okay, I'll take over. I will pray through you. I will use your body and I will pray through you so that I can change your reality. And that's what happens when we pray in tongues. And honestly, I, I can't think of anyone who wouldn't benefit from the gift of tongues. Everyone should want the gift of tongues. There's so many believers who are like, oh, maybe I should have it, maybe I shouldn't, or I don't really need that, you know, I prophesy. The point is, Paul says, he says about prophecy, he says, I really desire that you would all prophesy because his point is basically, you all speak tongues, why can't you all prophesy? I think for us today, it's the other way around. Some of us are like, well, I prophesy, so I don't really need tongues. In the Corinthians, it was the other way around. But Paul's point is this, pray in tongues because what happens is that you, you begin to get Holy Spirit stamina and you'll begin to wake up. Tongues is such a key to wake up. If you don't want to fall asleep in your prayer life, like the disciples in the first story, then you need to, you need to completely lay down your life so that your, your heart aligns with heaven's heart. And that looks like tongues more often than not. Now, I'm not talking about, let me just quickly say this. I'm not saying that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people in church history who've talked about tongues being the evidence that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. I am saying it's essential to the Christian life, though. And so I would encourage you this morning before we just move into a time of ministry, think about it. If you don't speak in tongues and you'd like to, we'd love to pray for you for that. But my, my, my message to you this morning as a church and as my family is this. Let's pray. Yeah. Let's properly pray. For, for so long now, it feels, we've been hearing these promises, haven't we, about what Father's going to do. Have you guys been getting excited about what Father's going to do? Have you guys, like when you hear those like, things that you, we get these amazing preachers come in and also sometimes me, um, and they come in and they say some really cool things and they're like, God's going to use you, you're an important family. Have you heard that? Do you realize that you're, you're significant in this nation as a people? Do you realize that? There's not another church in this nation I found like you guys. That's awesome. That's a compliment, not just because you're weirdos. <laughs> Are you getting excited about the revival because it's coming? But the reality is it's only going to come here if we pray for it. And so let's be a people who begin to really take seriously prayer. What I've said this morning is not that deep. It's really not that deep, but it is really important. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that if we don't begin to do this now, we will miss out yeah. because the, the rest of the nation is starting to catch up. I'm going to say something which I might get told off for at some point. If Spring Harvest is saying to pray and they've got the point, we need to catch up. Seriously. <laughs> Honestly, because Father's given you so many gifts. Yeah. You're living in a room full of people with so many gifts. There's so many prophets and healers and evangelists in this room. You guys have seen Father heal instantly. I told a story about a lady who had a, a, like a leg problem just now. And you guys were, were like, rightly, just like, that's cool. Jesus does that. Because you guys, you see it all the time. That's awesome. That's a good thing. I'm not condemning you for not going crazy. But the point is, if I told that story in most other churches in this nation, people would not believe me. They would be shocked. You guys have so many gifts, but we need to use them. And the only way we can use them is to pray. I'm going to finish on this point. In Ephesians, I think it's six, Paul gives a list of the armor of God. You guys know that list. We all love the shield of faith and the, and the breastplate of righteousness and the, the shoes of faith like my shoes. 
But what does he end it with? He says, and go on constantly praying in the Spirit. So if you want to carry the full armor of God, if you feel like there's been attacks from the enemy that have got at you, and you're thinking, this armor doesn't really work that well. I've thought that sometimes. The reality is probably this. You need to get on your knees and pray in the Spirit. So we're going to move into a time now where we're going to, we're going to pray. And I, there's two groups of people I want to pray for. I've said pray a lot. I know, but that's good. There's two groups. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and play over us. The first group of people is, those, is a group of people who, and this is going to be brave, but that's why we're doing two at once, so no one will know who you are. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, if you don't speak in tongues and you want to speak in tongues, come um, when, when we do the response, come forward and pray. And I can say in all confidence, you will receive the gift of tongues this morning. You may not begin to exercise that gift, but you will receive the gift of tongues this morning. If after this, this morning's service, you're thinking, why, have I, why am I not praying in tongues at this point? Go ask one of the pastors and they will love to talk you through it. But I promise you, because it's what the Bible says, you'll receive the gift of tongues this morning because I believe it's his heart to pour it out. And so that's the first group. The second group I want to pray for, and we're going to press in as a church for this group, is the intercessors. Now, I said earlier that everyone is called to pray, but there are some people who have a specific anointing. They're like watchmen and women who are prayers, who will pray in things, and they'll begin to pray things before the rest of us catch up. And I would love it if the rest of us could pray for them. It's not very often that a church will pray for its intercessors. It kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but that's what we're going to do this morning because I really believe that what Father wants to do is build up a fiery presence of prayer in amongst you, and it needs to start with those who are already on it. So if that's okay with everyone, I would just invite you to all to, all to just stand. And if you're part of one of those two groups, just begin to make your way forward right now. If you see yourself or you know that you're someone who's called to intercession, to pray, then come forward. Even if you're on the prayer ministry team, it's okay. Holy Spirit can be our prayer ministry team today because it's Pentecost after all. So if you're an intercessor, come forward. And the other group as well, if you guys want to receive the gift of tongues this morning, come forward and we're going to pray for you. And I promise that you're going to receive from heaven.